listening to Living on the Edge, a weekly news podcast with a focus on edge, cloud, and mobile, featuring thoughts and analysis of these issues by tech industry veteran, the CEO of Mobile Edge X, Jason Hoffman, and by me, I'm your co-host, Dan Benjamin. If you'd like to read the notes and see the links associated with this episode, just go to livingontheedge.show. You'll find everything about this and all of our episodes right there. And while you're there, if you have thoughts, feedback, or comments, just click on the contact link and share them with us. We appreciate it. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? I am pretty good. I'm relieved that we're finally here because we've got a ton of stuff to talk about today. Big news sweeping the industry. We've got to cover. Okay. We've got to cover. It's exciting. I'm trying. You know, I'm trying to get people pumped up, Jason. Oh yeah, I'm to get them pumped up, up about the edge so and cloud and <clears throat> oh yeah, all of that stuff. So you got to you got to yeah. sell it. <laughs> it's gonna be a big. It's gonna be a big show. This is the biggest show of the week. Biggest show. So listen, I, let's just jump right in, Jason. I think feel like we got to hit these right. headlines. We, I'll, I'll line them up. You knock them down. How's that? Okay. Sounds good to me. Okay. Well, the ETSI. Has laid Etsy. out MEC Federation plans. Uh, it's pronounced. It's pronounced Etsy. 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 I, I can't say Etsy like that. That's the website. ETSY. That's the where you go to sell ETSI. like a little piece ETSI. of art you made out of matchbox sticks. Uh, Etsy. Oh yeah, but people actually say this Etsy too. It's All right. Well, if you, I mean, Etsy. you're the you're the expert on. If yeah. you want me to say Etsy, I'll say Etsy. But the audience is going to yeah, think I'm Etsy. talking about yeah, think, you know a bear made out of cotton balls. I, I completely get that. Okay. Well, yeah. Etsy has laid out MEC Federation plans. There's a new report, which is a PDF file. These are going to be available in our show notes. Just go to livingontheedge.show and you'll find them there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what's the significance of this? I read this article and I thought, you know, this this seems kind of cool, but tell, tell me what's the significance of this? Uh, well, it's a little, uh, it's uh, can be involved depending on how deep we want to get into it, but Etsy is the uh, European Telecommunication Standards uh, Institute, uh, and it's one of uh, uh, one of the major standards bodies in the telecom space. The the other two being um, 3GPP, which is the third generation partnership project, um, and uh, that you know worked on things like GSM and LTE and 5G comes from you know the 3GPP people. Uh, and, and you always, I always have to be 3G PPPPP. It always feels like you can't stop saying it. Uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, and then there's things like the International Telecommunication Union, the ITU. Um, and uh, they tend to be responsible for some of the stuff around radio uh, communication, you know, and that, that type of thing. But, right. But, you know, essentially Etsy is the, the European uh, standards body. Uh, they're... Uh, the people that originally proposed a quote-unquote standard around what they called mobile edge computing, right? Um, you know, which is the mech, you know, part of it. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it was a relatively light standard and not really implemented by anybody. Um, and so um, <clears throat> they renamed it to multi-access edge computing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's a standard again, that's specifying some infrastructure that you're supposed to run, uh, you know, network software on top of, you know, that's like within the network. Um, again, not terribly implemented in a rather consistent way, you know, meaning that, um, um, well, it is what it is. But when we start looking at, you know, this idea that, um, 
edge while using a lot of the uh, technical and architectural, you know, sort of extensions and reuse of what's been done in the quote unquote cloud space does have some differences when it comes to uh, location, uh, mobility concepts, uh, sovereignty, uh, the scarcity of these areas. But there's basically critical metadata and ownership differences. You know, so uh, just like in the case of mobile networks themselves, you know, there's not like three dominant mobile network providers in the world, like how you have an Amazon, Microsoft, Google. Um, you tend to have one to three mobile networks per country times all the countries that exist. Um, you know, there are, in fact, you know, 900 members in Etsy, you know, 600, 650, which are, you know, sort of operators, you know, that are in there. Um, so mobile networks themselves are uh, federated by definition, mm -hmm. you know, that you actually can go and, you know, fly to a country like Singapore and use your phone and your phone just works. Um, but that's purely for uh, data connectivity, voice connectivity, a couple concepts like that. So when we actually start looking at uh, other uh, workloads running uh, within the network, meaning being native edge workloads, um, the edges themselves are going to be owned by many people. You know, they're not going to be owned by just an Amazon, Microsoft, Google, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of across all the countries. And so naturally there began to be these concepts around, well, how do we interoperate between these? How do we allow similar concepts like roaming? Um, how do we start having a bit of a federated view on what these footprints look like? Uh, within the GSMA, which is yet another uh, telco um, alliance group, right. um, then um, there's been a, a thing in there called TEC, T-E-C, um, which has been working on um, platform concepts uh, and ideas around federation. And we, of course, have been um, the platform provider in that that project that was started off by by Telefonica and other operators. And so generally what you'll see, like in this case, is uh, Etsy has always had sort of a specification around multi-access edge computing. And then, of course, this is a natural way to go and extend it. Uh, and in these types of areas that are not entirely clear, like this is 5G, this is 4G, right. this is 3G, um, you know, in these sort of you know, areas that are in a gray zone, what you end up with is you end up having multiple standards bodies basically go and make proposals about them. You know, so that this is just Etsy catching up to um, something that, you know, we like kicked off within the GSMA and some other standards bodies a couple of years ago. It's a short version of it. So. What did you think of this uh, paper, this group report? Multi-access multi edge computing I, study on inter-MEC systems and I, MEC I mean, cloud systems coordination. A lot of, um, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, um, to be a bit critical of a lot of the, the things around uh, Mac in particular that have come out of Etsy in the past and even the current one. And this one's got a bit more suggestions around implementation details. Um, which is not present in some of the other standards in the area around that. Um, you know, a lot of these documents 
if you think of it from an engineer standpoint where, okay, now we're going to go and write something and come up with a product and that type of thing. Um, these types of standards are very, very high level. I mean, you essentially go and suggest, let's have a manager, let's have a broker, let's have them interact in like the following ways. Um, you know, but you, we need to make a clear sort of standards statement, you know, it's just sort of like what that is. Um, but you know, you look at it, it's like, okay, do we just sit down and implement sort of exactly this? Uh, you know, who knows? Um, and it's also pretty obvious. I mean, the idea that, oh, we need to federate, so we got to have a broker, you know, basically a technical broker between things and something that manages that brokerage. No shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, okay. Okay. But, you know, again, standards bodies exist to basically document these things. Right. I mean, that's uh, the whole point is just to, just to write down what in many cases is obvious and everyone already knows. Uh, or is super political or is right. helpful or, you know, is, is sort of something like that. Right. But, um, but yeah, makes sense. So you're relieved. I, I mean, can tell you're happy, happy this is going. Uh, I mean, the thing about it is like, it's, it's one of these funny areas where, um, you know, do we have a, do, do we work on a controller at MobileEdgeX that has to do with the federation interoperability of edges that are owned by different people? Yeah. Yeah, we absolutely do. Um, our focus is not on getting that to be quote unquote standardized because, you know, the reality is there's not going to be eight competing implementations of it. it just isn't, right. you know, it's one of these, it's one of these, it's one of these areas where, um, you know, unless you're structured the way that we're structured and founded by you know, an operator, the way that we were founded, there's, there's not a lot of people that have, uh, an incentive to go develop this. So, you're not going to go to somebody that's say doing underlying infrastructure and say, Hey, you should make it super easy for people to switch off of me and to roam around to do some different things. You know, why don't you go ahead and build this really great commoditizing layer? And so then what happens always with these, and I'm not necessarily accusing this report, you know, of that, but what often happens is people don't want to be, uh, commoditized in some way, shape or form. Right. Um, and so, you know, often what you end up with is, relatively weak standards, you know, from that, that sort of standpoint, you know, so, um, you know, and, uh, you know, the GSMA effort has been the intention there has been to have the viewpoint from a mobile network operator's perspective of what is needed to go do this and then to go do it. Um, that's very different from a standards body putting out guidance that is used by other vendors in the space to propose some product in that sort of area. I think it's just a very different perspective. And a lot of what you see then sort of is anchored in that original perspective. Well, something we will definitely, I think, come back to and uh, talk about again in the future once we see if anything, where, where this thing goes. Yeah, but it's one of these things too, if you sit around with most people and you said, well, how does, uh, how does number portability work? You know, how does like roaming, you know, as you go around different countries and use your phone, how does that work? Right. You know, it's one of these things that just works. Um, and you sort of don't necessarily think about the implementation of it. You will have very similar things here. Uh, it's a good example of talking about something that does need to be implemented by the industry. It does need to be done. Um, when it's done well, it'll just work. Right. And, um, you know, it's not going to be, 
um, something that outside of, you know, a, a few people might truly be interested in the implementation of. But, yeah. Yeah, but big concept, big thing. It's really important. Yeah, I know, and we're, we're super committed to working in the area ourselves, so. Very cool. Okay, <clears throat> next big headline that we've got here, Intel has come out with a new architecture roadmap and a plan to take back the chip-making crown between now and 2025. And basically, they had uh, their you know Intel Accelerated event, which uh, there's a link to that replay if you want to watch it, if you weren't you know there with your bucket of popcorn and uh, Junior Mints watching it live. Um, so I would like to your thoughts on this, but what's interesting is that, that, that not only do they have their own roadmap and you know they're trying to be more competitive especially than than amd all you have to do is talk to somebody in their early teens and they will talk to you about ryzen being the exciting thing now and you know intel doesn't like that and i don't blame them for not liking it but what's also interesting is they're going to be building the qualcomm chips there but their their goal is to take back the crown by 2025 thoughts on that uh yeah yeah, I mean, you end up, I mean, one, <clears throat> uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to, like, interact with Pat Gelsinger when he was at Intel originally, and then at EMC, and then, you know, he was running VMware. They, you know, led led our last external round in this, and you know, Mobile Edge X around that. And then him going back to Intel, I think, is exactly what, you know, Intel needed to do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, because, you know, on one hand, you know, from a, you know, almost top level industry perspective and, you know, industry within, you know, the United States, if you will, is, um, you know, there's a, a, a couple of areas that we have to continue being the best at here, in my opinion. Um, making and, chips has uh, definitely got to be in that list. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's of vital importance that the, um, that this country, um, in particular, quote unquote, Silicon Valley, uh, remains to be, uh, the, the best semiconductor manufacturer in, 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 in the world. Um, it's fantastic that TSMC, TSMC of course, started by a former Intel employee and uh, Samsung in Korea, you know, do that, do that as well. You know, Intel has always sat in this one, you know, particular spot where, um, um, they, they manufacture things and most of what they manufacture is their own design. You know, and when you have like the comparison to um, an AMD, you know, even though, you know, AMD was, you know, initially founded in like 19, 1969 and, you know, did things for, you know, a while, you know, when Intel did its first x86 chips in the late 70s and then uh, when IBM licensed uh, the x86 for their PCs, uh, they did that under the condition that Intel provide a, a second source manufacturer 
for what was a patented class of chips, you know, the x86. Uh, and, um, you know, so AMD was chosen as that Intel licensee, you know, so the whole setup, if you will, that, you know, was largely done by, um, you know, the, the IBM PC deal, if you will, was that Intel and x86, AMD and Intel were always going to be the dual sources of x86 chips you know, sort of like in that. And, you know, and then AMD's gone um, a certain way where uh, they've really bet the entire farm on x86. So you see a funny thing where, you know, in 2003, I guess I think it was probably April 2003, AMD released a 64-bit x86 chip, but x86 was not the 64-bit strategy for Intel back then. You know, the strategy for Intel back then uh, was a 64-bit was going to be titanium. Um, yet, the 64-bit x86 chip from AMD is what really drove um, a lot of the early, you know, virtualization and cloud efforts. You know, because a lot of the hypervisor work that was done out there and the like was for x86 platforms because people were predominantly using it on you know, their PCs at home. Uh, and now what you had is you had 64-bit um, x86 chips that can now be in the data center, which means that you could start doing virtualization in the data center uh, where uh, you were actually hosting like entire VMs where that, that made sense. Um, and so, you know, and that <clears throat> really led Intel then to adjust over about the next five to six years to where by the time they released, you know, in Halem, um, that was the best x86, 64-bit x86 chip that they released, and it actually went and sort of competed together with, with AMD quite well. Um, and, um, and they started taking that market share back, and then, you know, AMD, um, you know, continued to sort of start innovating in sort of these other directions. You know, they went down this route where they spun off their manufacturing uh, operations, which was um, now called you know, global foundries, uh, and um, they started acquiring things in <clears throat> specialized compute elements, um, started pushing a certain way in heterogeneous compute and, 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 and graphics in that. Um, you know, the dynamic between Intel and AMD, in my opinion, continues to be very, very good for the industry. Um, because in a lot of ways, AMD helps Intel stay on track from an innovation standpoint. It forces them to innovate um, because they're very, very competitive, especially yeah, so in, it is, in so, gaming. So, right? Yeah, so when you stop and you think about it, like in 1981, when I, the IBM deal with Intel had this condition of setting up a second source, um, you know, having Intel, having sort of Intel and IBM continue to go down this this sort of route around x86 together and what that looks like and that natural sort of competition there um was you know was very good uh now then when you sort of look down the route that that um amd went you know, amd spun off its manufacturing capabilities in 2008 uh, naturally then sort of from an intel perspective intel's perspective was like well our ability to manufacture is core to what we do um, and, um, then as the years go by, the conversation over the last couple of years was, is that really the case? 
you know, should Intel go down the route of AMD and maybe spin off its manufacturing capabilities or break the company up or, 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 or do that. Um, and, um, I think what Peck Elsinger is doing there now is correct, which is, uh, no, um, you have to be good, good, great at design and manufacturing, um, and stay the entity that does that very well. And then just understand that the mindset you have to have is that you're going to be competing on the design side with people like AMD and NVIDIA uh, and so on. And you'll be competing on the manufacturing side with people like TSMC and, and Samsung. So, you know, I think in a lot of ways, it's like, okay, so the example that Intel has for Intel as a company is Intel. It's not AMD, it's not TSMC, it's not sort of this. And the whole question is, how can Intel be Intel and do what Intel does? Um, and, uh, you know, because it's very easy if you decide that you're going to be this vertically integrated company that does design and manufacturing, it's pretty easy to be bad at manufacturing and bad at design or sort of mediocre at both versus world-class and both. Um, and I think, you know, what we're starting to see here is exactly the, the type of moves that, you know, they need to be making, which is, yes, if, if, if Amazon's doing their own design, if Apple's doing their own design, if Qualcomm's doing their own design, um, then they should be bringing all that into the company in a way that they, they get better and they learn from it. And then at the same time, yes, continue to compete on the actual x86 side with people like AMD. And it's just a matter of basically lining up the company to really sort of execute on that. And, and it continues to give Intel a unique place in the market and a unique structure and a unique set of things. And um, I think it's great. I mean, the amount of, um, you know, just sort of things that Pat Gelsinger has been doing there and how he's been structuring, it's been really, really impressive. I mean, so I think Intel's in one of the best spots it's been in in years. So what do you think, so think we're, we're, we should great. anticipate from them over the next, well, I mean, they their plan is about a, I guess a four, three, four year plan, but what well, should we be I looking think it, for? I think it, it is, it is like TSMC and Samsung are world-class in that type of contract manufacturing. And it's very clear that AMD is really pulled ahead and is world-class in some particular areas. Um, Intel has the, the fun sort of thing over the next few years that they have to um, catch up and in some cases be ahead. Right. Uh, from, uh, you know, a TSMC and a Samsung are sort of like on par. Uh, and they have to start, you know, beating AMD in a benchmark on this for gaming or supercomputers or that type of thing and start, you know, demonstrating that being on a an Intel, you know, sort of like chip and subsurface is uh, the right decision that one wants to make, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, they got to just go prove it, prove it now. Um, and, uh, you know, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, if anybody's going to, if any, if anybody's going to be, if anybody's going to be able to do it, it's going to be that, that team that's, that's doing it. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's important, you know, and, and I think, you know, it's a similar thing where going back to sort of this strategic nature of Intel's success as this vertically integrated manufacturer and design mm -hmm. that then has to get good at competing on the design side and and actually be good as a contract manufacturer and, and embrace all the realities there. You know, it's a similar thing like in our area where 
everything having to do with communications, we should be world-class at here in the U.S. too, but we don't have an Intel here that does that anymore. You know, that's done, you know, by Ericsson, Nokia, Huawei, as far as like the tops, you know, sort of that are out there. There is no like Huawei equivalent, you know, that is headquartered in the United States and continues to sort of go and do that. You know, a lot of the things that we did with the the Telecommunication Act of, you know, I think 96 or 95, you know, during the Clinton administration, you know, allowed a lot of the reconsolidation of mobile operators in the United States. And a whole series of things started kicking off in the mid-90s that essentially led to, you know, the eradication of, of U.S.-based telecommunication um, vendors. Um, I mean, we, we keep in mind, you know, Motorola was like a, you know, headquartered in the Midwest. Uh, and, uh, in fact, were the people that did 1G uh, mobile networks, you know, with people like MTT Tokomo and the like. So, uh, you know, there were uh, a number of, of U.S. companies in the space that uh, did things there that are all gone, gone um, you know, from that sort of perspective. And, uh, you know, so we're clearly you know, behind a bit on, on that. I'd say the other big, the third big strategic area, of course, we have to do, you know, in the U S is, uh, everything around the optimization and care type software that you do and all the AI type work. Um, but you know, you look at the majority of the investment and sort of activities there, it's really done inside of Amazon, Microsoft, Google, you know, and that type of bit. So we sort of, to me, if I look at, you know, if I was like, you know, the, CTO of the United States, I'd be sitting there saying, okay, well, we need to be really good at semiconductors. We need to be really good at what we're doing from a communication standpoint. We need to be world-class at what we're doing from an AI standpoint. Uh, okay, well, you know, it's basically, you know, Intel and AMD and NVIDIA is, you know, the really good U.S. examples of being world-class on the semiconductor side. That has to be supported and done well, and we can't give that up. And People like Samsung and TSMC should have manufacturing plants here in the United States as well. And how do we support them? And, you know, you you develop everything there. Sort of second question of, okay, why isn't there a world-class telecommunication company that's that's headquartered here? Um, And then, you know, sort of, then it's like, okay, then you have to be comfortable that, you know, they're starting to pick on all the Amazon, Microsoft, Googles of the world, yet those are the standard bearers when it comes to R&D investments in the AI space. So, you know, we sort of can't slip on that. And a lot of this, I think, is setting up in the sense that the next big transition for all of these is moving from, you know, the traditional semiconductor designs we have now to ones that are based on quantum. And so you're going to have literally quantum semiconductors, quantum communications, quantum-based AI. You know, we're, we're literally talking about... Um, these semiconductors getting down to where these gates are four atoms in size. And once they start getting, of course, even smaller uh, in that, then quantum effects begin to dominate. And if quantum effects begin to dominate, then the question is whether they're going to be signal or noise on that. Uh, If they're noise, it means it's basically screwing your chips up. If it's signal, it means you're you're building quantum stuff now. Right. Um, And uh, so I think, yeah, stuff like what Intel's doing is great for the industry um, and uh, really critical within the context of what the technology strategy for you know a country like the United States needs to be as well so but you know it's uh, a lot of good areas <laughs> so a third and on that go ahead. well and on that communications standpoint too I mean when you look there um, 
you know, you start having, you know, sort of the Amazon, Microsoft, Googles of the world starting to help say, okay, you know, maybe what they've been doing from a cloud computing perspective and the like starts plugging into it. I mean, in some ways, now the fact that Microsoft, as we've talked about before, you know, acquired a core and is talking about what they can be doing to actually go and improve, you know, 5G and get ready for 6G. I mean, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe what we end up saying from a capabilities around developing communication software for 5G and 6G and 7G and 8G and so on like that, um, maybe that does begin to start being executed by a company like Microsoft, you know, or Google, right? You know, or right. something like that. It's not. It's not necessarily the the emergence of a of a of a you know direct Ericsson Nokia Huawei competitor, you know, in the U.S. And so some of the moves that Microsoft is starting to make in that space is like, oh, okay, well maybe that's maybe that's where we start thinking of that, uh, you know, strategically as as a natural place to do that. Well, speaking of Microsoft, uh, that's our third big headline. Microsoft positions to optimize Spectrum with, can I say, Moo Mimo? <laughs> Mimo. Mimo? Yeah. Yeah, you just, I think you had to say Mimo. Mimo. Moo Mimo. Yeah, uh, so uh, Microsoft Azure yeah. posted a blog yeah. this week, and the, the quote from it is, computing power can be used to increase cellular network capacity. And advances yeah. in software-based machine learning and data analytics techniques can be used to improve the efficiency of 5G and future networks. And yeah. so the examples yeah. that they gave yeah. for MooMimo, uh, <laughs> yeah. for, for 5G and, and yeah. how MNOs may not need full capacity to start their, yeah. their journey on this. So this one seemed pretty interesting, a lot like what we were talking about last week as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think it's a very, you know, thank, thank God that somebody like Microsoft here is, you know, going and showing things like this. I mean, the, uh, you know, the whole point of this massive multi-user, um, you know, multiple input, multiple output, you know, which is what the, uh, MIMO, multi-user MIMO, yeah. uh, is, is, is a lot of where, uh, all of the, you know, how do we actually have exponential capacity gains within 5G over, you know, 4G? Um, there is some uh, really computationally intensive math uh, inside of that. And then, you know, a lot of the math, because of the nature of it, whenever you're doing sort of large matrices in there, is, you know, you may end up, for computational sakes, end up with something that's a bit of an approximation. And then when you sit down and say, okay, well, how do we optimize that and get better at it that's where deep learning concepts basically show up uh and so i think it's a it's a very good point of how um uh the cloud itself and you know as essentially a high performance computing environment and a high performance data environment that then feeds into uh, you know, all the information coming off on how well these things are basically doing, you know, feeding into effectively um, uh, a deep learning environment, uh, you know, is the kind of thing that, you know, um, like I said, thank, thank, thank be to the powers of, you know, the universe that, um, you know, a, a, a software and infrastructure company like Microsoft is taking a look at you know, this type of area. I think it's, I think it's really a good, good, important demonstration of, of how they can 
you know, help everybody basically scale 5G and 6G into, um, you know, what's needed. Yeah. Yeah. No complaints about that. No complaints. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Other than it's funny because we started with like, you know, Etsy, meh, I don't know, (laughs) you know, to, to, uh, uh, you know, good for Intel, you know, and that type of thing. And then we, um, we, um, you know, head into, uh, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really amusing thing because the presence of hyperscalers as doing something in the, in the mobile networking, in the sort of operator space, and then even emerging as vendors to, you know, mobile operators or there are people that, you know, they act afraid of that or, um, they think it's threatening or, you know, you hear this edge versus cloud, you'll hear this, geez, you know, what are they going to do this? They're going to sort of disrupt there. They're going to apply their OTT dominance to making operators pay more for something or, you know, the like, um, I find a lot of that to be, um, well, I'm, I'm, let me propose what the alternative is. The alternative is, do we really want uh, the largest companies in the world that are making the largest R&D investments in leading technologies, do we really want those to ignore our industry? No, absolutely not. Really? Right? <laughs> like, really? Really? You know, of course we don't. Of course we don't, you know? And so, um, by all means, every time I see an example of something like that, on a Microsoft blog or the AWS guys coming out this or Facebook trying to help with, you know, big sort of connectivity effort that right. I just say, thank God that somebody's paying attention and making investments and helping the whole area move forward because, um, you know, it's, uh, it's in, in some ways a, a very cost center, brutal procurement environment that over the last 15 to 20 years has been like eradicating vendors out of the space. I mean, like good luck running up and down Sand Hill Road proposing that you're going to raise money to do a startup that's going to sell to telcos. Right. Right. You know, and so, uh, so you're not going to necessarily have professional investors supporting, you know, companies that are going to come in and, you know, solve big problem X for you because you tend to be a horrible customer from that perspective. Uh, but to have Amazon, Microsoft, Google, again, some of the largest technology companies in the world making the biggest investments in critical areas that everybody needs to go to the next step. If they ignored this industry, oh my God, it'd be horrible. 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 Terrible. The worst. Terrible. The absolute worst. Yeah, I mean, it's like if it, you know, I mean, they're not posting a bunch of stuff about how they're helping out water utilities. <laughs> so you know, you end up no, you just end up being like, you know, you want to be a dumb pipe, you know, be one with a bunch of water in it, I guess. I've got uh, uh, I've got some analyst takes now. I want to throw at you. Analyst, take. yeah, you ready for this? I don't know, maybe. Uh, maybe maybe you're going to agree. Maybe you're going to disagree. Here's one by uh, right. uh, Betsy Amy Vogt, V-O-G-T. Do you know how to say it? I want to I get it right. I want to get people's <laughs> names right if I can. This is uh-huh. the title of this one on Silicon Angle is uh, Cloud's New Equilibrium, Equilibrium 
Cloud's new equilibrium at the edge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you, Bet- Betsy, did Amy, you enjoy Betsy, this Amy, one? Amy Voigt. Amy Voigt. Uh, yeah, Voigt. It's fine. I mean, There's it's, no, it's all no about, you know, there. open, open hybrid multi cloud. Yeah. Something stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Saying it's yeah. the most flexible option by nature. Hybrid clouds. Well, I'll just read it. Uh, they say, while there can be no one size fits all hybrid clouds do come in two basic flavors, proprietary and open. Yeah. And she breaks down the difference between proprietary cloud vendors such as AWS Outposts, Microsoft Azure. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then it goes on to talk about infrastructure as code, which is kind of interesting. Kubernetes, especially highlighting, I think, that. Yeah. Uh, what's your take on this? Did you, did you get I mean, it? I, well, you know, hybrid clouds are funny because it's one of these things where it is the reality that everybody will be in because you always, you know, even if you do some effort where you're trying to standardize and homogenize your infrastructure, there's always some different type of heterogeneity that shows up. And what I mean, like, let's say you all end up on Intel chips, but then two years later you get new Intel chips. Now you're on old Intel chips and new Intel chips, you know, but you're not on like two different chips anymore. Right. But sometimes an old Intel chip and a new Intel chip is as different as an Intel chip and an AMD chip. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, you know, meaning there's, there's different capabilities in the chip and there's reasons why you bought it and, you know, everything else. And it may offload something that this other one doesn't. And, you know, so the reality is you're always going to be dealing with some degree of heterogeneity in your infrastructure approach. Um, and um, you're always going to have some differences in ownership and responsibility of those underlying infrastructures. Now, if it goes so far as to sit down and say all the infrastructure choices are made by a public cloud vendor, and we have things that are like on-premise, uh, you know, as well, and there's some degree of heterogeneity there, you know, and that tends to be what people mean by hybrid. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, and then what you have is, you know, it's, it's um, so one, it's a reality, but then what you have is you had a lot of people in the industry that market it as how you should do something on purpose. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I would say that doing hybrid cloud well means that you're dealing with that reality and you're moving forward in a lot of things that you're trying to accomplish as an organization. But the things are more about why you do stuff versus how you do stuff. So meaning... meaning um, is an organization you should decide that you're going to get good at, at, at doing distributed computing, distributed applications. You can have a more distributed concept of everything that if you apply a policy to, you can make it more centralized or decentralized or, you know, but you're going to get really good at where should something run and be at this given point in time relative to the needs of the business. Um, you may want your team to start getting very good at being continuous at everything they do continuously improving, continuously deploying, continuously, you know, like you put continuous in front of everything. And that means that really from a, from a, you know, operational standpoint, you've gotten really good at dealing with the reality of all the different infrastructure choices that have been made over the years, quote unquote hybrid. Right. Um, but, um, all the best examples of the world that are really good at infrastructure. And let's take Amazon, Microsoft, Google, would you describe them as like is somebody Google 
saying internal to like the ops team going, you know what we should really do, guys, is we should develop a hybrid strategy. Like, not really. Not really. I mean, you know what I mean? Meaning they're, they're doing infrastructure and different organizations in their own it, and some of it's offered to other people, and there's sort of other concepts sort of like around that, you know, but, um, you know, you, you sort of have a certain reason why you do things. And so, I, and, I, and I think my only complaint is like, yes, hybrid cloud is a reality for the vast, vast majority of companies, but as like a thing that you would do on purpose, you know, <laughs> um, and like a tool that you'd go and use, it's not like the reason why you would ever do anything and i don't see like how a cio would ever have like a kpi of let's achieve full hybrid <laughs> I, I don't want to you know what i mean it, it's just not a it's just not it's you know and so i, th- I think it's it's one of these um yeah this this article it's a good example of just it's all marketing 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 or you know basically people are saying hey you know what we know that you want to use the public cloud, and it's great, but we also know you own a bunch of stuff, and so you should buy stuff from us that lets you deal with that reality. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, um, we do too many marketing efforts in this industry about the tool and how to do something, you know, versus what what am I trying to accomplish that would that would actually make us more successful, and why, why would we do this? Um, and, um, you know, hybrid cloud to me is a, one of those types of terms where yes, it's, it's reality, but it's like, you would, you know, I don't know. Hmm. Like if, if you're a Michelin star chef, you're not gonna buy a hammer for your kitchen. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's, yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's one of these, uh, it's one of these funny things, but. We got next, Dan. Well, we could do, we could do, you know, I don't want to go too long, but I did, there was one more, uh, one more head, not headline, but uh, analyst take that I wanted to throw at you. Mobile World Live is running an article on their blog, which I like that they put in the title, blog, colon, US operators hedge bets with, now you've got me wanting to pronounce uh, everything now. So instead of MEC, I'm going to say MEC. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. People say it, Mac. I think I've heard yeah. you say Mac. So, um, yeah. did you get a chance to read this piece? If not, I can kind of try to give you a summary of it. But no, I got it's the same old, it's the same old shit, Dan. I mean, it's like the uh, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile in the U.S. <laughs> are doing something with one of the clouds, except T-Mobile hasn't, and they're doing something on premise, and you know that kind of thing. I mean, honestly, the you know the sort of other article about time to admit five G and Edge need each other is like. That was a great one. This one's like, I don't know. I mean, the you know, it's like, I, yeah, the okay. reason I brought this one up is j- it just sounded like something that would upset you. So I, I part yeah, of I it is, I mean, that's it's, why. But you want to like, talk yeah, about the time to admit five G and Edge need each other? The article in uh, well, CDO a, Trends. A, I mean, that's a that's a that's a short conversation. Five um, G is um, the like identifiable workload for Edge right, right now. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we, it's literally, I mean, our, our perspective has always been that 
edge is the embedded application environment present in wireless networks. Um, of course, that includes running the wireless network. Right. Uh, how, you know, you know, so um, the idea that wireless networks are 5G or eventually 6G or these things are going to somehow be such special use cases that somehow they're not going to take on the same infrastructure approaches used by every other industry. Uh, or it's going to somehow ignore any sort of lesson that comes from public clouds. It's just silly. Um, we take an industrialized approach to infrastructure. Um, and when you actually develop a good embedded environment and sort of a distinct place, which mobile networks are a distinct place, well, that embedded application environment of mobile networks is the edge. Um, the embedded application environment embedded in the internet, that's Amazon, Microsoft, Google. It's clouds. Um, and if we sit around and we say that, um, Last I looked, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, they use their clouds too. They don't just offer them to other people. Right. So if we're doing, quote unquote, build an edge here in our industry, we use it too. And we offer it to other people. Those two things go together. Um, they have to go together. Uh, and um, if you look at the closest identifiable at scale edge native workload out there, it's the elements of 5G. So here, here, thank God, someone else is saying it uh, besides us, because I feel like I've just been <clears throat> yelling into the wind about it mm -hmm. for a couple of years. But yeah, absolutely. Sounds crazy. <laughs> okay, so uh, a couple more news of the week. I'm just going to fly through them. I'll, I'll read you the, the headline. I'll read you the title. You give me, it'd be like a lightning round. What do you think of that? You yeah. just all, all line them up. Yeah. You knock them down. Mm. That sound good. Mm -hmm. And if you don't care, then we'll just go to the next one. Yeah. Okay. Intel. Uh, I'm going to pronounce every acronym from now on. Intel lands yeah. new ORAN 5G network deal with Airtel. Yeah. Great. This India. That's in India. For those who don't know that. Um, yeah. But you're happy. You're happy with that. This is after the Geo deal. Yeah, I mean, this is the like best way to think about it is just like you have quote unquote white boxes in the data center. Mm -hmm. Now we're doing white boxes in radio networks. Great, wonderful. Next, next we've got AT and T yeah. and JBG or Jibug Smith disclose plans for at scale five G smart city, a five G smart city. So it has signed AT and T has signed a letter of intent with a real estate owner and developer JBG Smith well, to build the, the first at scale five G smart city in the United States of America. <laughs> Yeah, a good example of a marketing spin mm -hmm. that is a customer announcement. So it's going to be uh, in Washington, D.C., and right. there'll yeah. be yeah. Uh, 6.8 million square feet of office space, 2,856 Wonderful. residential units, and they're already Fantastic. under construction. Great. Great. Like a mini city yeah, within just, a city. Yeah. I mean, it just means, again, it means that ATT signed these guys as a customer. Good for That's them. it. That's just their way of yeah. announcing it. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, Verizon and MasterCard are using 5G to reimagine a POS point of sale. Makes a ton of sense. I mean, you know, uh, Rima there, who's been the head of strategy, has been on the board of MasterCard for years. So it's good that two companies are working together to figure something out. I mean, I, I mean, you know, when you go and you buy shit, you notice a lot of times the point of sales thing is like plugged into a cable on the back, or sometimes even these ATMs and stuff are still on modems that dial in over copper right you know, yeah you get that yeah yeah okay use 5g so how Makes is this going to be very different than from you know like the um 
the existing point of sale systems. You walk into a place, you buy a coffee, they spin around the little iPad looking thing. Well, the thing funny and, part is if, if you've ever used a point of sale systems that people plug into an iPhone, you know, like what Square yep, does yep. or um, what was the one in Europe that PayPal bought? Start with a Z. I don't remember. I forget. I don't remember. Um, well, the good news is if you've ever, you ever gone into an Apple store and they sat there holding the phone and they take your card and they swipe it on the phone and they say, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you've seen it. Well, how is this different? Why is this a big it's deal? Not, Why is this even news? Uh, because people want it to be news. Okay. Right. Fair. Yeah. I mean, but, but it's, uh, I mean, it's not going to be, um, is MasterCard adopting 5G? That really, is that really going to be <laughs> something that people, what does that mean? What does it mean? You go into a store and they swipe the card and what? That's faster. I, that's what they seem to be saying. And, but they're, they're saying okay. that the entire shopping experience will change be, based on this. <sighs> I think that's a tall order. I think it's unlikely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those. I don't remember the last time I was in a store. <laughs> but, you know, we are in the middle of an unprecedented viral pandemic. Yeah. Right? Yep. So, well, not unprecedented. Unprecedented within our lifetime. Um, Lord knows we've had worse ones in the past. It's not like it's the Black Death or the like, but... Jeez, did I just literally <laughs> somehow... <laughs> I did, was not trying to diminish the severity of coronavirus. No, but but um, it will just move on. I'll just stop saying it. All right, I uh, I'm skipping a couple that just aren't even interesting. Uh, industry first 5G feature enables lower latency and increased battery life. This is a deal with uh, Tel- Telia, Telia, and Ericsson yeah. testing a yeah. new feature that. Um, Uses a 5G smartphone form factor mobile test device powered by Snapdragon modem RF system. It's a, a, you know, what would be funny about this press release would be just replace 5G with 4G and 3G. And I can almost guarantee you literally can find the same fucking press release. Same press release. Yeah. Yeah. It's like whatever. Yeah. Okay. you're You're not thrilled by this. No, but it's just, it's just, you know, the thing about it is, um, you go and, you know, if you put your phone in, Airplane mode, you notice the battery lasts forever, right? Right, sure. It'll last quite yeah, a long time. Uh, yeah, and when you take it out of airplane mode, it doesn't last forever. True. And the biggest source of it is if the people do weird jobs in the towers and stuff, it drains all your battery life. So, great, by all means. Go ahead. So Sounds great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit, you know, it's one of these, I don't know, press releases where it's like, God, ah, great. Wonderful. So uh, Deutsche Telekom has launched Apple AR innovation program, Apple hardware and software mm-hmm. designed from the ground up for AR. And there's no better way to experience the tangible tomorrow, Jason. That's what they're calling this. Uh, but nice. it's basically an Apple AR innovation program. <laughs> Again, it just sounds like a press release, but AR is pretty cool. And 5G behind that pretty cool well this is uh i mean we of course do a lot of work with hubram mm-hmm. which is a tech incubator uh within deutsch telecom it's like the way they continue to interact with people that want to do new apps um and of course we were founded by deutsch telecom and mobile ejects mm-hmm. so um you know what hubram does is they'll go and work with whether it be samsung apple unity and uh do these programs where they're trying to say okay let's Let's go and support developers that are trying to use a combination of this device and this platform to go and build, you know, X. 
uh and um um you know when they're like onboarded you know onto something mm-hmm. and the like i mean that's what that's what we've been using our our platform for so i mean it's it's uh it's great i mean you know in the, in the mobile operator space for somebody like dt um it's always about what's going to be a net new device that's interesting that makes people sort of buy it um and why are they going to be doing it and the reason why they're going to be doing it is because they got apps on it they want to use um so you know it's uh it's great that uh the hubram team continues to do that effort there Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you've got that you want to cover? Any of the other little links or things that, that are in the show notes that you want to talk about? Are you feeling good? You feel like we're done? Other than I, you know, I found the, uh, you know, the, the final title of NASA turns to edge computing to protect, you know, astronauts from contamination as being a, a funny uh, edge washing <laughs> example. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they, well, we've been sequencing DNA for a long time and using a local computer for it is a long time. But, but it is, you know, it's a really good example of you know edge is used in two ways um it's used to describe that embedded application environment inside of wireless networks whether they be wi-fi or cellular um and it's used to describe everything that's left on premise at an enterprise that's not going to a public cloud or a SaaS offering so it makes it very easy used to have here's what we're doing from a SaaS perspective here's our public cloud strategy and then here's a whole bunch of other bullet points. Now it just becomes SaaS cloud edge. But you have these little ironic situations that some of the things left on premise are things like mainframes. And so now mainframe is a bullet point under an enterprise's edge strategy. Um, and this is a good example of a press release that's basically about mainframe. <laughs> <laughs> It's left on premise. No, but it's it's okay because you know we have these things as human beings where we go and say let's have a shared abstraction and we're going to organize the world this way. And if we all work within this framework, we understand what we're talking about. You know, it's what laws and money and and everything else is. And we have this whole idea that let's have a device talk to an edge, talk to a cloud versus a device that's talking to a cloud. Okay, well, what is edge? Uh, you know, edge is well exactly what I just said. Um, and as you go and recategorize things, you know, sometimes you have these fun examples where, yeah, the the box that you have sitting there next to your DNA sequencer, oh, guess what? That's now an edge node. Okay. The mainframe you have left, you know, in the basement of your, you know, finance building. Yeah. Congratulations. That's now part of your edge strategy. But it's just because of the way that we decided to categorize things for the purposes of understanding. Wonderful. So that's it. That's all we've got for this yeah. week. And you know what? That's good. We've talked yeah. for almost a whole hour. And uh, if people would like to share their thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, get your opinion, takes on things, they can go to livingontheedge.show, click contact, and send us your thoughts, your feedback, whatever it is that is on your mind. And if you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can do that. Jason, you are at Jason H. I am on Twitter and I'm at Dan Benjamin and that's all we've got for you this week. We'll be back next week with some more news and analysis. Thanks, Jason. Have a good one. Sounds great, Dan. Thank you. <laughs>